this is Bibliophile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this Welcome to Bibliophile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back here again with round two of our little free library trips uh, to bring you the worst books that our neighborhood had to offer. Uh, although, apparently, it's not quite as, as awful as last week. Yeah, I think the worst book that our neighborhood little's free library had to offer was the one that I read last week. Blood of the Children. Yeah, and at the end of last episode, you said you, you didn't have any idea of what you're going to do with it because you, you did not want to put it back into circulation. So I didn't. What'd you do with it? I threw it in the garbage. So that was somebody else's book. Um. Yeah, and no one else should read it. It was traumatizing. I suppose when we uh, carried out this experiment, we were looking for what books we own that we could put in there. And uh, we decided against putting Obama's America in one of the. Littles. We didn't want to put that evil yeah, out of the world. We don't want that out. I don't I know don't why we still have that. want to be responsible for that. Yeah, because it was a wedding gift from our good friend Charles. Yeah, and then he put the receipt for the trash can in there, and I yeah. tried to return the book with the receipt for the trash can. Anyway, well, I the reason we're keeping that book is that if and when Charles gets married, he is getting that book as part of his wedding gift. Yeah, from spoiler us. alert, Charles. Uh, nobody else will get it. Like, understand the joke. Um, but we are back here again to bring you the... I am back here again to bring you the second out of two stories from Debbie McComber's Married in Seattle. Last week, I told you the story of the first. First comes marriage, where just... Nothing happened? The stupidest possible <laughs> fights and the rollingest eyes of, of ever. Mick has spent the last two weeks since we recorded the last episode telling me that he's mad at me for really ridiculous things. Yeah. If this were that book that I would that I read, I would be mad at you for not knowing which of the takeout options I wanted to have for dinner. Even though I said I'd be fine with any of them, you didn't pick the one I wanted. So now I'm just not going to talk to you for, like, the whole rest of the- I just can't. I can't. Or, uh, I don't really want to drive. Do you want to drive? And you'd be like, sure. I'd be like, I don't- Wow. Way to take my keys. <laughs> Ugh, I hate that. Um, was this book like that too? Was there more of it this No, there's far less. Uh, it still has it because, uh, as I'll talk about, that's the worst part of this book is the fact that it feels that it has to uh, like belong to some of the, the pieces of the rom-com canon, I guess. Yeah, I, there's some things that rom-com authors and movie producers could get rid of, but they just feel obligated. Yeah. If any of you are listening... Don't feel obligated. You don't have to do this. Yeah, uh, you don't have to write the terrible second act plot twist if you can't think of a good reason. Like I said the last time, like, there was a good reason and you've got mail for them or for him to not be straightforward. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's a good movie. Yeah. Also, my argument for this one was you don't really need a second act plot twist because there's two books in this book. Yeah. So you could get away with it just being a short story. Yep. There doesn't have to be yeah. a super predictable fight. 
Yeah. There was not... Well, there were kind of fights, and we'll get to it. But uh, this one was the second. It's much, much better in my mind. Uh, it has absolutely nothing to do with Seattle. Why? Like, it's in Seattle, but it could okay. have been anywhere. It doesn't mention, like, we went to the Space Needle, or, like, Puget <laughs> Sound. It's just... It's in Chicago. And it's like... Uh, you know, New York is really the fifth character of this four-person group. Mm, and Seattle right. doesn't matter at all to this. I uh, wanted Perfect Partner. I don't know if it was legitimately better or if... Well, the day I read all of it, because I read all of it in one day, which should show you how much easier it was to read than uh, First Comes Marriage, because First Comes Marriage is actually less... Fewer yeah, that pages. one took you a while. <laughs> and it took me a while, because so many times I just close it and throw it. I read this all in one uh, go, pretty much. And I think what really helped is that it was the first, like, super-duper sunny, hot day of the summer, and I was outside shirtless with, a with like, a six-pack of Corona. And so I think that it's as close to the beach as we're going to get yeah. uh, soon, and these, these are kind of, I think, just made for that environment. So maybe I was just in the right place for it, but I also think it was better. So, in Wanted Perfect Partner, Wanted, colon, Perfect Partner, uh, our two main characters are Meg and... Some old guy's name. This clearly Steve. had a really lasting impact on you. That's your dad's name. This should have been pretty easy for you to remember. Well, I did finish it like a week ago. <laughs> uh, sorry, I didn't ascribe my father to the <laughs> rom-com book. Anyway, so Meg and Steve are both in their late 30s. Uh, they're single. Meg had a previous marriage and has a teenage daughter who fluctuates from, uh, well, she doesn't. She's described as being like a freshman or sophomore, but acts like a... 19 year old uh so, i think that people very quickly forget what teenagers are like like yeah. you sort of ascribe any type of behavior between the ages of like 11 and 25 to like <laughs> oh you know teenagers teenagers yeah you know how uh sophomores in high school who don't belong to cross country are out there running a mile yeah totally <laughs> teenagers don't exercise come on yeah voluntarily they're like i'm gonna go out for a nice jog clear my head yeah um <clears throat> so Mom has a daughter from a previous marriage, but uh, the marriage dissolved. Basically, the guy was an asshole and just sort of like, I don't really love you and I've been cheating on you, bye. And they parted amicably, basically, because she was like, well, if he... At one point, she mentions, like, maybe I should have fought more to keep him. Like, fuck no, you shouldn't have fought more to keep him. It's okay to walk away. It's a thing that's not working out. Yeah, well, even if you were still in love with him, like, you shouldn't save that that's probably not something worth saving and the idea of fighting for whatever um so she has a daughter and she hasn't dated anyone since because she's been too wrapped up in the mom has been too wrapped up she doesn't have time to date because she has a quirky small business she does have a quirky small business Mm -hmm. now it's not the quirky small business but this is a rom-com about seattle what kind of business does she own? She has a bookstore. She has a bookstore. Yeah. Bing, bing, bing. There is no way to pro- prove this, but we did not discuss this before. <laughs> uh, so she's been too busy running her bookstore, so she says. It's really because she's built up walls around her and her daughter, as gets discussed at the end of the book. Oh, I see. Um, and so her daughter, I forget her daughter's name, uh, her daughter and her daughter's friend place a personal ad in the in the newspaper or whatever. There was a Mary-Kate and Ashley movie like this Parent back trap. in the day. No, that wasn't Mary-Kate and Ashley. It was called Billboard Dad. And Mary-Kate and Ashley bought a billboard and put their dad's face on it to find him a wife. Uh, did it work? I don't remember. I bet it did. Probably. I or bet else, it did. What's the yeah. point of the movie? 
Um, so they put her ad in a in a uh, classifieds, and then they they accidentally set the wrong date. Uh, it's too soon, so they she has like a date tonight. Mm. Oh no! And so they they make her go get a dress, and like, wow, I do really look good. And there's there's some funniness about the teenagers being very concerned with like you have to be really slim and you have to dress in these fashions, go put on all these makeup. She's like. I'm 37. Like, I'm still relatively attractive. Yeah. It's fine if I'm, like, five pounds. <laughs> I don't care that much. Or that's not... This is how my body is, yeah. and that is the, okay. the priorities of an older woman yeah. are a little bit different, which is kind of funny. Although she's still really hot, apparently, naturally. Or else mm. who would want to read a book about Of her? course. We can't have an unattractive protagonist. Yeah. Um, so she goes to, like, this fancy French restaurant... Uh, that's like one of the fanciest because the daughters are like, oh, it's a first date. It needs to be fancy. Yeah. And she's feeling very guilty because she's going to go. She's planning on going to this date basically just to like meet the guy and say, hey, sorry, my daughter did this thing. But when she gets there, there's Steve Conlan, who is, would you believe it? Crazy handsome. Oh, of course. Yeah. And she feels very bad because he's wearing like a suit and tie or whatever. And so he's putting more effort into this. And so she feels like a little bit bent out of shape to actually have to put effort into the date. Once you know it. Do they fall in love well, immediately? Well, they, they do. Well, there is a little bit of, like, we hit it off and talked really well, but it's not like, I'm going to marry this girl oh. after date one. Um, wouldn't you know it, though, that Steve Conlan is there because his little sister put an ad in the personals ads without oh, asking him. Because he okay. has no time for love because he has... Uh, he is some type of, like... Corporate executive or uh, lawyer? No, good guess, though. Okay, what is That's he? usually, he's a mechanic, so he's, he's oh, a blue-collar Joe. Okay. that went in a different direction than I was yeah. expecting. So, I kind of like it. So he's a blue-collar Joe, and they hit it off, and they, they admit to each other, like, they're very awkward, and then they admit to each other that neither one of them meant to do it. Yeah. And so... It's in the first book, the the protagonists couldn't admit to being in love because it's what Grandpa wanted and everything like this. And so that was a very stupid reason yeah. to not fall in love. But in this time, they actually do really like each other, but they uh, there's more hijinks about, like, some flowers get sent and he doesn't send them or whatever. Uh, and so they're... It's, it's more reasonable that they're trying to figure, like... They're trying to figure out, like... What's actually him and what's our interfering family? So we're gonna have to shut it down for our interfering family so that we can actually like be by ourselves. So in one pretty funny, it probably takes up like a third of the the novella. uh, They take turns going to meet the other family and being like the biggest asshole, like most undesirable. And so (laughs) he shows up in a leather jacket and jeans on a motorcycle, which he does own, Uh and pretends to be like an ex-con and is like, uh, yeah, I should probably call my parole officer because, you know, he'd be happy to hear that I'm hanging out with such a classy lady and although she's not always so classy, like he's gross and it's pretty funny and she's kind of into it which she's like aghast so it's kind of funny and then she goes to meet his little sister and she wears this like tiny mini skirt and like fishnets and talks about working for a phone sex line and but the thing (laughs) is that she's trying to be like overly slutty and everything like this but it just makes him like really horny because she's he thinks she's really hot so it's pretty funny i do like the idea of like late 30s early 40s folks just engaging in hijinks against their younger family members like that's cute and fun that is cute and fun so in one of the least realistic things oh the boy who's been asleep all day has decided that he needs to play um in one of the least realistic pieces of this book the teenager goes to sleep before the mom 
Uh, yeah, no, that's like not before a thing. ten o'clock, and I had a bedtime at ten o'clock when I was in high school. Because, but you didn't actually go to sleep then. Yeah, did I, did, you? I know. I was up for hours, yeah. even before like smartphones to scroll through. Which yeah. I think this takes place before smartphones. So, teenagers just don't fall asleep very well. They're no. not built for that to go to bed at what we might call a reasonable time. So she sneaks out of the house to go meet him again and talk it over and everything like this. And there's the yearning and the everything. And the one thing I don't like about this book is that they wait until they're married again to have sex. This is not it's a sex not, book. This is a, this is, yeah. Which, like, do, do you want? But that's just not realistic. Yeah, like, you've already had a kid. You already like, have a kid. He has presumably had relationships. Like, yeah. That's it's, not a thing that... The 30, like, you don't have to show them, like, porking on in the parking lot after date one. But yeah. when you're, like, 36, 7, 8... There can be a you scene just, of them, like, waking up and having coffee together yeah, the next you, morning. Like, adults, it can be implied without hey, being explicit. It is a long-standing point of this podcast that people be screwing. And people been screwing. Yeah, people been screwing, people bone. It's fine. So it's fine for adults to bone, even if, they, whatever. Uh, but then I would tarnish. So what's really funny, she gets, uh, she sneaks out and comes back and, and uh, the daughter's like, you're still seeing that asshole. And so it's... Um, it's very obvious, but it is pretty funny that it's the role reversal of the the mom sneaking out and yeah. the, the teenager being uh, finger wagging. Yeah. yeah, and she's like, "Oh, I'm really I want to have this conversation and remind me when I date a guy that you don't like that how this <laughs> felt or something like that." Um, and then in the worst part of this book, uh, she forgets her purse in his car at one point, and so. He, he's, she's like, I'll just get it from him. But he sees it and he comes back after uh, mom has snuck out and returned. And so he goes to return the purse to her, but the daughter sees this strange guy. He's an ex... Oh, it's him, the ex-con. He's sneaking into our oh, house and everything. No. So she calls the police on him. Uh, and the police show up. Guns drawn. <laughs> like, well, Topical. Yeah, yeah. ACAB. Anyway, so guns drawn and, and uh, he's like, oh, here's who I am and everything. And she's like, don't believe a word he says. I've met him. He's an ex-con. And oh, here's no. the name of his parole officer who actually is a parole officer. I don't know why he picked a real guy, but it was like his high school buddy. His buddy, yeah. And so then the mom kind of wakes up and leans out of the window and she's in this sheer negligee. Like, I don't know why she decided to dress sexy to sleep in, I By guess. herself. Yeah. yeah. And so... She, like, comes out and gets everything sorted out, and she's trying to tug the robe around herself, but she's really hot, and so, whatever. Um, but then he gets mad, or she gets mad at him for causing such a ruckus, which is, like, he's trying to return Yeah, he's purse. not, he, he Chill didn't out. cause a ruckus. Yeah. He was just trying to return your belongings to you. But then since she's mad at him, he gets mad at her, which is a little bit on the fairer side, like, why are you mad at me? But... He's talking, well, of course you came traipsing around. You probably liked the attention half naked. It's in your own yard. Chill the fuck out, bud. Yeah, that's annoying. Wait, and see, that that is very similar to what you had talked about in the previous book. It's like, we, we, you just have to sort of conjure up some reason for there to be conflict when, like, it's a short story. You don't really yeah. have to. It just could have been, like, this silly role reversal these people playing hijinks on their younger family members, and then yeah. they wind up liking each other. Like, yeah. it could have just been a very light and fun book. And instead, it is the victim of convention. Yeah, and that is, to. like, I, I wish that romantic comedy authors did not feel the need to do, because it's so predictable. Yeah. And it's annoying. And it always sucks. Yeah. Uh, just like the, oh, the 37-year-old woman can't name doing it can't name having sex she's like well you know i really am looking forward to and he has to go making love oh god 
Which I feel like, especially if you've already had a child, you get very comfortable with, like, anything... It's naming like naming things down there. <laughs> it's like more book characters to just masturbate already. Come on. <laughs> uh, so I was hoping I was gonna get to read calm adult boning. Like, hey, you know, we we're both pretty sure we or we we know what we like. Yeah. And let's just have sex with each other because we're adults. Yeah. No, uh, nothing. Um, it would be it would be a nice respite from uh, other world where it was very much not calm. No, boning, no, the opposite of calm. Hectic boning. Yeah. Um, just like the first book, these people are the worst arguers in the world. They have no ability to, like, I don't know if like Debbie... Like, in the things they argue about, or, like, the words they say to each other. No, they like, the, they're like, oh, you have a point. It's like, no, they don't have a point. Yeah. It's just, I don't know if Debbie couldn't think of anything better to convince, and so, therefore, the, the characters have to, like, be convinced. But the, the daughter is so hurt that she's continuing to see this ex guy. Like, I can't stand, uh, people who lie. And she goes, oh, yeah, it's really true how I, it's... Anybody in the real world would have been like, you mean how you lied and signed me up for this classified thing? You don't get to judge one iota about lying, teenage daughter. Yeah. And she's just like, yo, you really, it's really, he's not like that, I swear. It's like, no, who cares if he's like that? Or also, I feel like the way a real parent would address that is like, thank you for telling me that. I understand how you feel. Let's talk about how I feel or my motivations or whatever. Like, you you don't just cave. Uh, so they're, they're trying to get back together and, uh, the sister of Steve, Steve's sister keeps trying to hook him up with other women oh, yeah. because she didn't like the, the slutty one yeah. he brought home. And so then he owns a body shop, he's a mechanic. And so she keeps finding reasons for these women to have car trouble or something like that. Hey, at least it's good for business. At least it's good for business. Uh, and so they're supposed to have a dinner date. He calls and says like, Hey, I'm really sorry could we push this back? I have to go help Sandy is the girl, the other woman's name who she had met at one point. I have to go help Sandy fix her car. And so can we just push this back? Not even canceling it, but like she's a flat tire on a bridge or something like that. And so sort of understandably, the what the, uh, Meg is thinking, you know, he's cheating on me yeah. because my husband did that whole thing. And then later realizes, like, well, someone who's cheating wouldn't go say, I'm going to hang out with another woman. Like, he would have thought of a different reason. Yeah. And so she feels kind of bad. But what she says is, you know, if you're so busy, let's just, like, smiling through the tears. Oh, we can schedule it for another time. And then the daughter has to call him to yell at him about what an idiot he was. Uh, people don't communicate. So many problems so. would be solved if people would just communicate. Uh... You think your mother's upset because I broke our dinner date? He asked, well, I've got news for you. She's the one who called it off. She said it was no big deal. And you believed her? Shouldn't I? Uh, Steve could picture the girl rolling her eyes. Either you aren't as smart as you look or you've been in prison for so long you don't know anything about women. And it's like, no. You you don't get to say, here's an idea that I support and then be mad at me for agreeing to the idea that that is not a thing a thing you are allowed to do. Make two of the things that I've learned are most irritating to you in depictions of other people's relationships are that of like, well, you should have known that I didn't mean what I said. Yeah. And the idea of like, well, I just wanted you to fight for me. Ugh, I hate fight for me. <laughs> why didn't you, why didn't you just try? Why didn't you just fight for me? Those are the two things that annoy Mick in Fictional romances. Yeah, I I hate it a lot. Uh, This one, I think, is supposed to be the emotional core of the book. Uh, 
he comes over to hang out again with the daughter's blessing because the daughter sees how happy and she. Does she like, realize he's not an ex-con by this point? Uh, kind of, kind of not. She's she, uh, she doesn't really know what to. Actually, at the end of the book, it was revealed that they never actually believed any of the bad characters that the parents were playing. The sister and the daughter were playing along, and it invalidates the whole fun point of the book. It's really stupid. Yeah, that's dumb. Uh, they get married. Um, and so... Good for them. They, they, he comes over, and the daughter not only is trying to get her mom married, but also is, like, setting up a bottle of red wine and has music playing and is trying to get her laid and, I like, mean, hell yeah. breaks in the door or, like, comes back in and is like, let's have a conversation about safe sex. And It's funny, but it's really dumb. Uh, yeah. And then that's a reason that they can go without having sex like they put it off again uh because oh the moment's ruined because the daughter and everything and he's really mad about it because he has a boner Uh, and so they storm off or something and she she refuses he's got oh uh the daughter tries to force him to propose like in the moment and I he feel actually like this ha- daughter just needs to back the yeah. hell off. Like, uh, get out of here, bud. You're yeah. fine. And so he had a diamond ring in his pocket and was going to. And so she kind of like, and now he's saying, well, I was, okay. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, you you can't let her force you. And he's like, no, I really was going to. No, just get it. Like, just go. She's mad at him for some reason. Of course. Uh, so, we're, we're just mad at And then the daughter kind of just hits her on the back of the head and says, go, go chase him. And go, so, go fight for him. Go fight for him. Go run out of the house. Uh, and so he's on his motorcycle. Either you say it or I, I'm leaving. He, he wants her to say she loves him or something. He turned away and started the engine. Mom, we're going to lose him. Lindsay cried from the porch. That's a daughter. Don't let him go. I love you, she whispered. Uh, Steve switched off the engine. Did you say something? I love you, Steve Conlin. I'm scared out of my wits. You're right. I've built a wall around us. I don't want to lose you. It's just that I'm afraid. And so she's laying down her uh, motivations. And then there's some more stuff. But then he says, you're going to marry me, Meg Remington. She sniffed, probably. (laughs) I would have loved it if that was the last word. That's where it ends. You're going to marry me, Meg. Probably. Uh, He got out of the shock. Yeah. Will you or will you not marry me? I will, she said, laughing and crying at the same time. Then she ran to meet him halfway. the, The mood swings or whatever. Uh... And then they go smooching in the house, and she says, I hate to inter- The daughter interrupts. The daughter interrupts again, and then they, they get married. This daughter needs her GTFO. Yeah. She's irritating. Uh, sh- there's multiple examples of her being mad he's not calling her, but making no effort to pick up the phone and call him. I don't know. Like, I've heard this from a lot of younger women. Like, when I was in high school and in college working with people, this isn't a book that girls read. No. Right? Then where is, like, it's like a Jungian hive mind that that's just, like, an attitude that is carried by a lot of people. Like, why isn't he doing anything? Well, are you doing anything? No. But why isn't he doing it? Like, then then what do you want? Where did I, like, Jungian culture come from? Yeah, I don't, really, I don't really know where that comes, but it is very pervasive. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's just sort of, sort of how you understand relationships work, which... Hey guys, it's okay to just like tell tell people what you think and what you want. Yeah, it almost crazy enough helps people to give you those things. Yeah, if they understand what it is. Being straightforward can be productive. Yeah, I thought you were just gonna end on being straight, which. Nah. No, that does not help be productive. Happy Pride Month, everybody! (laughs) Happy Pride. Sorry about the parades. Yeah. 
Um, Mick, can I tell you about the stainless steel oh, I, rat? I wish you would. I, I am dying to understand anything about this. So am I. I would have loved to have seen your face when you found this book in the little free library. It was a, it was a, scrunch, scr- a scrunched old face I had at the moment. Because I feel like this book, like, how, how do you even brainstorm this book? On the cover, the stainless steel rat for president. There is a Han Solo. Han Solo and basically a woman, a young-looking woman with a Progress. all of a very revealing top. We'll say um, neither of the main characters look like look are described as looking like that. They they okay. So it's like uh, Han Solo. Oh, I thought that was a leather jacket. Never mind. He's not too Han Solo-y, uh, but he looks like. He has uh, just been working underneath a car. Like, they tried to shade his face, and it came out looking, like, mottled instead. Yeah, so this guy is actually, like, in his late 40s, early 50s, and his wife is the same age. Dang, good on her. And they have twin, like, 20-something sons. So they're not, like, super young. They're also, I think this is supposed to be a spaceship in the, yeah. in the cover. I thought so too. Um, there's also what appears to be a mechanical, well, I'm assuming a stainless steel rat eating something that that's never, oh, I didn't notice that's it. never, a thing. I saw the title and I picked it. Yeah. Um, I actually, especially after the last book that I read, which was terrible and I'm still mad about it this book was a lot of fun oh good it's really silly and dumb and weird so it is kind of like a screwball james bond parody Ah. so the stainless steel rat is this um like secret agent who has all of this super high-tech equipment he travels throughout space solving crimes and accomplishing missions that are sent to him from the core. Oh, um, the council? Not the council, it's the core. But it's, it's just, like, it's a very silly... He, his wife helps him. Sometimes he brings his kids with him. <laughs> he has all of these crazy tools. Um, like, one of them is a sonic screamer that he keeps in his belt buckle. It vibrates to produce oh. feelings of terror in anyone close by. He also has That's a... That's not usually what a vibrating thing on a belt does. I suppose I would feel terror if somebody <laughs> had one next to me. But. He also has a molecular debonder where, like, he can take this device, he can point it at your computer desk, it will take molecules of the computer desk and store them, and then later in a different place, you can reassemble the computer desk based on those molecules. So it's, it's like a teleporter, but with storage. Yeah. Um, he has a needle gun that uses uh, electromagnetic fields to hurl tiny slivers of steel at people. That's how the, the guns in Mass Effect work. Oh, It that's shaves cool. off of a steel block and hurls them. Ugh. He has... Uh, I already mentioned the molecule extractor and restorer, the debonder. Um, he has a tissue regenerator and healer so that anyone who gets hurt, he can, like, basically instantly heal them. He's got all these, like, no crazy high-tech things. Um, it's just... It, the, the dialogue of it... You know movies like... I haven't seen Airplane, but I assume it's kind of like this. But um, Brain Donors, yeah. where it's just this very quick... Um, like the main character talks a ton and talks so fast that you have to be like really paying attention to catch 
some of the jokes or little snide comments that he yeah. makes. Like when he's talking to the rich woman and yes. he says things that sound like compliments, but they're sort of not. That's yes. how all the, the dialogue is. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. It's just kind of silly. So the, the, the plot of this is he is sent by the core to a planet called Paraiso Aquí. Um, paradise here. Paradise here. Um, where they speak Spanish. It is, I think, supposed to be... Cuba? Really putting the aliens in the aliens. It's it's gonna it's supposed to be like kind of Cuba, um, where <laughs> he is sent to investigate the docking some bay of deaths, and then winds up challenging the the. Dictator? It's supposed to be a democracy, but the dictator of this planet. Um, there is an election coming up. And so he decides the best way to defeat the dictator is to run for election against him. The elections are always rigged. So he's going to run against him, figure out a way to rig the election in his own favor, and then he's going to cede control to, like, the guy who's leading the, the rebels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's the this... Dicta- the dictatorship of the proletariat. And there actually is some pretty good political comment, like, funny and witty political commentary in here. Um, when they first get to the planet, they're on like You're a... only on page 12 and they're already at the planet. Yeah. Um, it's a quick book. It's like, I think it was, yeah, less than 200 pages. Um, when they get to the planet, they're on this like tourist boat and the tour guide is trying to tell them all these wonderful things about the planet. And so they, um, point towards the natives. Happy natives laugh away their days in the sunshine amidst the gustatory glories of sun-ripened fruit and fresh-caught fish. And then his wife has, like, an actual book about the planet. Angelina read quietly from her book, a dark counterpoint to mine. The inhabitants live in a condition of near slavery. Poverty and disease is the norm. The rule of the dictator's government is absolute. (laughs) Um, And so just this idea of, um, like, what the guidebook says versus what reality is for these people. Well, it's all politically motivated, you know? They just can't be... Can't let anything be good these days. Um, Always have to find the negative. We have to find it everywhere. Um, He winds up... So he he meets Jorge, who is sort of uh, a leader in the resistance movement, kind of gets hooked up with him, and then winds up forming this whole scheme of running for president of Paraiso Aquí. Um, I'm going to read a couple more passages to you because there's some stuff that's just really funny in this. So does he become thing. like the Fidel Castro or is he the Che? Is there? Oh, uh, I think he's supposed to be more of the Che. Mm. I'm going to get a shirt with the stainless steel rat's face <laughs> on it. Put a poster up in my dorm room. Viva. One of the reasons that the other planets don't care about politics here is because the government superficially appears to be a democracy. Every four years, there's an election for president. The only thing wrong with this arrangement is the election is rigged and General President Julio Zapilote always gets reelected. He's serving his 41st term now. Um, and so just the idea of like... That's a, that's a old ass man. Yeah, he gets, um, what do they call it? Geriatric treatments. Mm. He's like 200 years old. Ah. Um, so just this idea of like, as long as you can say it's a democracy, no one else in the galaxy cares. Like, no one actually asks about the reality of it. They're just, oh, it's a democracy. They have elections. It's all fine. Um, so... What is this book written? Uh, this book was written in... 1982. Ah. What was going on in the world in 1982? The height of the Cold War. Uh, yeah. Reagan was president in his first term. Uh, raising taxes. There's mourning in America. 
Uh, cocaine was being smuggled on military. Well, no, that had been done already. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hostages were getting back from Iran, I suppose. They were probably back. Uh, thanks to Reagan telling them not to release the hostages until he got elected. How did people feel in 1982 about the cops? Uh, not great. So that might explain this line. Uh, at this point, they have captured some of the, like, dictators, uh, unspeakables or whatever they call them. Uh, very good. Just drive on along the coast while we figure out what to do with them. Cut their throats, wire boulders to their ankles, dump them into the sea, Angelina said, smiling cheerfully. No, darling, I said, patting her graceful hand. You are reformed, remember? No more maiming or slaughter. That doesn't apply to the police. <laughs> so that's, um, she, the wife, is like extremely anti-cop, which is um, her her dialogue about it is quite funny. Um, so part of their scheme is that they find a very rich man, like a member of the aristocracy, and they basically use his house a lot of his money and resources, and that guy's going to be the vice president. Mm. And then um, the main character, the stainless steel rat, he's going to be, his name is James. He is going to be... James Blonde. He's going to be the president, and the plan is that after they win, they're going to stage his assassination Mm. so that this guy can, the aristocrat who is on the side of the rebels, can wind up being the president. No aristocrat is truly on the side. I know, I know. Um, so there's... Can't participate in your own overthrow. <laughs> there's a lot of hijinks. Well, they're not necessarily focused on overthrowing the aristocracy. They're focused mm. on overthrowing this dictator. Ah. Is the big thing. A regular old Jude monarchy, huh? Mm. July monarchy. It might need... Okay, but there will be difficulties. We must agree on our political platform before we enter into any alliance. He's talking to the the to-be vice president. You may not like some of the reforms I intend to carry through if elected. The Marquise waved aside any possible disagreement with a flip of one noble hand. Nonsense. All men of honor and standing agree on this sort of thing. I know by your title that we will have no problems. He's invented a title for himself. (laughs) I don't think it is going to be quite that simple. For instance, what if I were to advocate splitting up the large estates and giving them to the peasants? I would shoot you on the spot, he said with cold simplicity. Lucky that I don't believe in that myself, which wasn't quite truthful. But I could see where land reform, all kinds of, I could see where land reform, all kinds of reform, of all kinds of reform would be a long and slow process on this planet. We would have to start up with basics. The longest journey beginning with but a single step, as the shoe salesman said. No land reform, of course. I just said that to mention some of the political questions that will be asked if this is an absolutely free election. Now, there are one or two little reforms that we will have to consider in order to get the popular vote. There are things I know we don't like in theory, but we must make a few concessions in order to get people to vote for us. We must allow universal suffrage. One man, one vote, and that includes women. Women? They can't have the same rights as men. So they're having all of these, like, in a very quippy, silly way, like, having all of these political conversations, which is I'm surprised that a criticism of electoral, or electoralism came from the stainless steel rat for president. (laughs) Um, yeah, so they're, like, they have, so their first big, um, issue that their first big stumbling block is that they have to file the papers that they need to be able to officially be on the ballot. And wouldn't you know, the deadline to file the papers was supposed to be a week from now, but actually it's today. And so yeah. they have to like get to the Capitol and sneak into the building and they wind up facing resistance from the 
the Zappy Lotes army or whatever. Um, then they are. I think I used the master ball to catch Zappy Lotte. (laughs) (laughs) Then they, um, like the, the date of the election moves up. So they don't have the time they think they need. They wind up taking over the broadcasting corporation so that they can broadcast to their own media instead of just Zappy Lotte's propaganda. Um, they try to schedule a debate, which of course Zappy Lotte won't have anything to do with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then finally, election day comes. He exposes Zappy Lotte as committing election fraud and then immediately commits election fraud himself. So all of the votes come in for the stainless steel rat, whatever his uh, alias was, I can't remember, and his vice president. And then he immediately fakes his own assassination so that the Marquez becomes president and then the family heads back home. So it's just all sort of like ridiculous hijinks that ensue in this process. But um, it all winds up being like the Marquez is actually going to be like a fair leader who listens to the Mm. people. And he's committed that every four years they are going to have a real election He's already committed that he's not going to run for re-election ah. the next term. And all of this great change is going to occur on Peraiso Aki. Um, Jorge, the the tour guide who winds up being their, like, connection with the rebels, he winds up marrying the super hot girl nice. um, in, the, in the rebel group. There's just all of this, like, fun, silly stuff that happens. Um, it was very quick. Like I said, less than 200 pages. Um, the dialogue was, like fast and silly and fun and there was some good political commentary and also fuck the cops yeah fuck the police (laughs) so that was the stainless steel rat i would not seek out another book in this series but if i wound up getting another one for bibliophile there are worse things in the world yeah well then i won't do it um (laughs) this reads less like i have to say historically there's less of the cuban revolution and much more of the mexican revolution oh that might make sense too especially with the uh not re not running for re-election was a big promise that was made in mexico many times and subsequently broken yeah yeah um but yeah, so that was this book. It was fun. I read it in a day and a half, maybe, instead of The Blood of the Children, where I was very sad about it for a long time and kept putting it off and then just skimmed over half of it all at once because I wanted it to be over. Yeah, that sounds like a good yeah. uh, plan for a job. Um, I do want to, before we wrap up... This is a rough time for a lot of people. Um, I know we have been trying to be engaged in our local community as much as we can with donating and going to protests and rallies. But I also, since this is a book podcast, Mm. wanted to make some book recommendations of good books uh, that are really, I think, important to read in this moment to educate ourselves. So a couple... Starting with The Stainless Steel Ref President. (laughs) Maybe not that one so much. Um, Some books that I think are really great that are helpful about learning about anti-racism and the black experience. Um, James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, ta Coates' Between the World and Me, which I don't think you've read yet, but not. it's very good. Um, Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. He also has a new one out called How to Be an Anti-Racist that I've not read yet, but have heard is very good. Um, this Bridge Called My Back by Gloria Anzaljua. It's an, um, what's, it's an anthology of a lot of writings of women of color. Um, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo is a great one, uh, by and for white people. Quite short, too. Um, and then Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. 
So those are, uh, there's also one called The Color of Law about racial disparity, disparities in housing. Yep. I cannot the remember the, decisions that were made to get there. Not remember the name of the author on that one, but The Color of Law is the title. So if you are looking to read a good book, those are some good ones. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, I love you. You can, do we want to do Oh, yeah, the yeah. usual thing we do. The usual thing we do. You threw me for a loop. I'm, I'm on Twitter at Dickie Ma. Uh, the podcast is on Twitter at Bibliovile. I'm Susan J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. And the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Okay, for real this time. I love you. Bye.